This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, flamethrowers. Shireen here. I am so excited to have Canadian hockey legend Sammy Joe Small on the show today. For those of you who don't know her, Sammy Joe Small is a three-time Canadian Olympic ice hockey goalie, two golds and one silver, yes, against the United States, and a five-time world champion. She's a graduate of Stanford University in mechanical engineering, just made her own mic stand during this interview and she now works as a certified speaking professional delivering messages on how to build successful teams as well as successful teammates of which she's definitely one she's originally from winnipeg she now lives in mississauga ontario she is a connoisseur of chocolate cake and pierogies and is an aspiring tennis mom the one thing i feel like you should know is that her favorite character from schitt's creek because yes she watched it was david I'm so excited to have Sammy Jo Small here to talk about her brilliant book, The Role I Played. Hi, Sammy Jo. Hi, Shireen. I love the intro. I've, I can't say I've ever been introduced that way before, but <laughs> I want to say hi to my neighbor. We're neighbors. We are, mm-hmm. and I'm so excited about that. Can't wait to make Courtney Cito jealous with our distant selfies. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. Thank you so much for sending your book. I loved it. I feel like I love the format in which it was written like a diary and very much in your voice. And I love how you, your message wasn't just about yourself and being a teammate. It was sharing very personal lessons. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could, first of all, because I mean, I'm trying to not make this a super broad question, how the lessons you learned in your journey in hockey helped you to cope with this pandemic life that we had like the lessons that you learned about res- resilience resistance how that helped you in what you're doing now for sure so i mean great question because very accurate that so many of the life lessons that we learn through sport will reflect in our lives later and i always say to people sport is not life but it certainly can teach us a lot about it and for myself as a goaltender having been placed in various different situations I think made me just have to focus on the present. As a goalie, we almost have blinders on. You're just solely looking for that puck. And those are the kind of things that I have to remind myself on a daily basis with a a young daughter, a husband, and going through a pandemic while still trying to bring in some money and work that I really try to be fully present wherever I am and not think about perhaps the global picture or the bigger picture at that moment. Um, until I really sit down to, you know, do my lists at night where I'm planning for the next day. That's where I, I start to kind of think big picture. But when I'm in the moment, I try to be there just like I was as a goaltender and really in sport in general. And that's what I love about sport is it allows you to be fully present in play. 
And I try to reflect that into my daily life. We just came back from the park with my daughter and she, of course, had to bring her unicorn with her, um, all the crafts that we made this morning into the sand and we had to do pretend the entire time. And there, you know, you can only pretend you're a unicorn with a horn on your head that's invisible like so many times until you start to wander and you start to think about other things. But this is really her moment. This is her moment with her mom. And I, I just tried to really keep myself there and in the moment. And it's kind of like a three hour hockey game. There's a lot of time as a goalie that you're not doing anything, but you need to be ready and you need to be in the moment and you need to almost just be a fan living vicariously through what other people are doing on the ice. And I think that served me well now as a mom and in my later years that I can activate that part of my brain. That's amazing. I mean, I love the analogy of, you know, being ready, but not being right in it right now because I'm of ready pandemic. to play pretend unicorn invisible anytime <laughs> I would I, I mean if you'll allow me I'd love to come out yeah. and pretend I, I don't know how but I'm always right. open she'll to learn you, and she'll tell okay. you when you're doing it wrong so don't absolutely worry. Yeah. um mm-hmm. I mean my a daughter who's now 18 was far more interested in playing ninja so we did a lot of that mm. so you know um there's one thing I wanted to ask you speaking of the lessons you learned and I'm actually pulling from your book because I I found pieces of your book so personal that you shared and so raw in emotion that's not something that I've read a lot in athletes they talk about their grit and the determination but you actually talked about moments where you felt disappointed and I found that very poignant particularly one when you're talking about 2002 January and you're speaking specifically how your team needs me to look confident you're saying this and then you said that you're talking about how Kim St-Pierre was she was subbed for you and you said my face goes red this can't be happening my heart pounds out of my chest and how much did emotionally you decide ahead of time when you were writing this book that you were going to do this or was this part of the process as you did it to share these really personal moments with us the readers yeah I think that uh, both of those are very accurate that I it started out not necessarily that way. And then as I did more of a deep dive, it got way more personal in my speech that because I work as a professional speaker. So I'm constantly in front of various different crowds. And I think the thing that has resonated the most is those moments where I've shared my vulnerability as an athlete and allowed them to see themselves in that moment. It might not be as an athlete, but it might be in the workplace or in family where We don't get what we want. And that seems to be more people's daily life. That seems to be the reality of more situations than perhaps we talk about. So that's what I wanted to talk about is really those moments and showcasing perhaps my vulnerability in those moments, allowing other people to have those same feelings without feeling guilty about it. We're all human. We all experience jealousy or sadness or depression. There's moments that, you know, are beyond our control. And so we want to feel a different way, but we don't. And I think acknowledging that that's okay, especially with the pandemic, you know, I I say to people all the time that it's okay to feel the way you're feeling and allow yourself that moment because you can't really get past it unless you allow it and you feel it. Now, that's not to say that you need to burden everybody else with that issue. For myself as a goaltender in those moments when, you know, you, you recount me getting pulled all over again I, I can feel it all over again when, when you're saying the those words and I can feel that emotion and 
I don't think very many people realize just how often that goes on in sport. You know, you could be watching a soccer game, somebody subbed off, and all you see is a player running on super excited. But you don't see the person that's come off or the reason why or know really whether were they just tired or, you know, so many times I'm watching the NHL and the commentators will say, well, that goalie probably wants out of the net. He's let a ton of goals in. Well, does he? Or does he want another chance to make another save? We don't know. And so I wanted to show that we have different feelings in the same moments too. And that that's real. And I think the rawness of it came with the rewrites. Initially, I wrote it very superficially as sort of a back of the room sales book to be able to bring to my speaking engagements. This is what speakers do. They write a book and they sell it and they make money. There you go. Bob's your uncle. Um, Bob really is my uncle, by the way. Um, but as I From wrote Winnipeg. It, <laughs> in Winnipeg, that's right. Um, I realized that this story is bigger than just me. The story, while it is about me, it entails a lot of my teammates that their stories have never been told. And I took on this notion that I felt like I was the caretaker of their histories as well. And I needed to showcase them in the best light and for all of our realness as a team of you know 20 women, 30 women, whatever we happened to be at the time, so that others could see themselves in in those moments. I mean, it's obviously I could talk on and on about this, but I think, you know, some athletes come in and they talk about excellence and you can achieve excellence too. And uh, this is all possible. Just believe in yourself. And well, the reality is we all believed in ourselves. We all felt like we deserve that moment, but not everybody gets the moment. And so let's talk about what happens when you don't get the moment. And I think that that's what this book is really all about. And for someone who played left bench, at the University of Toronto in <laughs> soccer. Like, I very much appreciated that perspective because it's one that we don't see enough, particularly when athletes regard it as being superhuman. And then you really brought... For sure. And you, I mean, you made it onto a college varsity soccer team. Like, that's impressive and amazing. And yet, the memory you have is that you sat on the bench. And that's... I did. I know, mean, I, I looked fantastic in the tracksuit, I have I to say. say. like, I'm a gold medal door opener. Um, <laughs> but... The, reality is we we make it so far and you still have those moments you could be on your single a minor soccer team and sit on the bench and the feeling's the same as when you've made it to the top to collegiate sport and you're sitting on the bench and so yeah let's talk about that because we all experience that and it's okay it's okay to talk about those emotions and I think that's how as humans we can relate to each other is those shared experiences so I feel like we can talk about it, but we don't talk about it enough. And I'm mm -hmm. so glad you did because like similar to like the WNBA leading conversations on race and injustice in the United States, women's hockey is a place that started about labor solidarity. They started conversations that you're contributing to on mental health. Um, and I think uh, that this is something really, really important to have a conversation about, particularly um, another goaltender that I had the pleasure of working with Kendra Fisher has also talked a lot about mental health. And that's something I particularly see coming from the women's side, from the women's game and conversations about various things in sport. Are you frustrated with the lack of movement reflecting in the men's side about, about these conversations that are really, really critical, mental health, different things. And I'm just wondering your take on that because we've seen, you know, so many important conversations happen in the last year, really. Are you feeling like the women are always ready to go and the men are not anywhere there? Um, I wouldn't say so. I, I mean, I truly believe that we 
are in a so different social construct that allows us the opportunity to talk about this without our jobs on the line necessarily, with maybe perhaps a more supportive infrastructure around us that allows for this conversation to happen. And I think that the guys conversation, I do think it's happening within their own dressing rooms. I think that, you know, the conversation has started, but I don't think that the needle is really being pushed outwardly for uh, fears of what that might mean for their careers, what that might mean for their place on the team. Even if I was on the team currently on Team Canada, I would never have written a book like this. You wouldn't hear the current girls speaking out in this way if you were a bubble player. I mean, this is something that you you just, you don't want to kind of stick your neck out for fear that somebody else is going to take your spot. And I think a lot of the guys currently who have, I think, a lot of expectation placed on them by society are still fearful of their job on a daily basis and of their place on the team. And, you know, whether it's you feel like you are on the cusp of making the team, if you're solidly on the team, you feel like you're on the cusp of making the power play. If you're solidly on the power play, you're on the cusp of being that shootout final shooter. You just, you, I think for a lot of them, um, it is a situation that they perhaps don't want to put themselves out there. And it is, I think, incredibly difficult for them. I think where I would like to see the needle being pushed is by alumni because they can and they are past the position of it really affecting their salary, their family, their paycheck. And I would love to see some of them speak out for what they truly believe in and what the shift in Canadian society that we're seeing. But I think that, you know, there's also a big difference in women's sport of how you get to the elite level, which happens to be through a lot of really good schools. Whereas in men's sport, that isn't always the case. So the way that they have been perhaps trained or educated will be different. So that doesn't mean that their feelings are any different or that they feel any more or less towards society's shift. It just means that they perhaps don't have the language that they feel comfortable talking about it without getting perhaps one side or the other ripping them apart, essentially. So, yeah, I mean, I would love to see some of our male alumni in various different sports, uh, especially professional sports, step out and speak their truth of what they've seen. And, and we're starting to see that. We're starting to see some of the guys that, like Sheldon Kennedy, that, you know, talked about mm. what he went through and mm-hmm. some incredibly harrowing experiences that they've mm-hmm. experienced. So let's celebrate them rather than expect too much from somebody who's, job is on the line always I really love this what you're talking about and it gets to the crux of what I want to ask you next about alumni and those who have privilege and have status or more stability Mm -hmm. because I mean to be honest I never really thought of it that way that an active athlete could potentially have their job on the line like I it's not something that and I appreciate that but in terms of talking about things like for example systems of racism within hockey even because I want to talk about this. It's so critical to the conversations that are happening in hockey generally. Would you say this applies as well to alumni and that we should start putting a little bit more, not pressure, but just sort of having people with that be able to speak out? Because you've done work with Indigenous communities in hockey and you've mm-hmm. talked about it. But like, we should really be looking to people who have gone through that, their career. Is that what... I'm... That Well, A, I think they have time. I think they have more time. <laughs> you know, somebody like myself has more time to be able to 
put myself in this position to have these conversations. Whereas, yeah, the guys that are currently on the team, um, I talked to one of the PR guys for the Leafs who said, you know, 10 years ago, you used to be able to walk into the Maple Leafs dressing room. And if you wanted an interview or you wanted a guy to do an event for you, you just went up and you asked him. That's not yeah. the case anymore. You know, they do two events a year and they're guided by the Maple Leafs and it's part and parcel because of their schedule as well. They're, I mean, they're on the road, they're constantly training, they're doing stuff. And so if a guy is to want to do something, I just recently read the George LaRock book. When you talk about racism, for me, when I was a child, it was so bad that uh, at one point, the N word, I thought it was my name. Hockey was never my favorite sport, but I, I lived through so much racism that it gave me the fuel to, to make it to the NHL because when you tell me that in life, in anything that I do that I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to do it, that's what I want to do. I don't know. Have you read that book? It's not really, yet. It's on it's, my list. Um, really eye-opening because he obviously has done a lot for societal change and mm -hmm. used his voice to speak out. But when he wanted to do that within the constraints of the NHL, he had to take time away from other mm -hmm. activities. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was... It wasn't that guys were necessarily upset with what he was saying. They were upset with him being away or doing this. Or why is he having different privilege or doing this? Or why is he speaking out when we have to be in the gym doing this or whatever? And I, I think that he talks in the book about that being sort of the demise of his career was mm -hmm. the time that he had to take away to do all these other things. And mm -hmm. I think guys read that kind of stuff and they see that and they think, do I really want to spend all my time doing this? Do I want to be that beacon of light known in this way? Or do I want to get on the ice and help my team win the game? And those shouldn't be two opposite ends of the spectrum, but I really do think that those guys feel that way. And I'm not speaking for all of them, obviously. They, they all have different opinions, but reading his book was really fascinating because it, it really shed light on what the expectations, even just within the dressing room are. The guys didn't seem to have any issue with what he was speaking on. It just was the timing that it took to be away from the team. And so, yeah, I think that putting some pressure on the alumni, as you talked about, could be good. And I think just asking their opinion. You know, I think that a lot of the times we have the expectation the Maple Leafs should do this or the, the current crop of guys should be doing this. But, you know, let's ask around and have those conversations and have the difficult conversations that, you know, most of these guys are maybe not on social media. Uh, so... I think it's up to the media to really push and reach out and they don't have PR agents anymore. They don't, it's uh, sometimes harder to get a hold of these guys, but I think it's up to journalists to reach out and, and try to push that needle because I think a lot of the guys, they're smart. They've lived a life and let's hear what they have to say and how they are changing themselves as well. Speaking of change, I was wondering your thoughts on where we are for women's hockey in Canada. This is a subject that's super, yeah, super close to my heart. <laughs> okay. Um, Let me just, just take a swig of, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> just where we are in terms of, you know, we are undoubtedly the best performers of the sport in the world. And I think that we have a solid history and future but we are also one of the only countries in the world that is top 10 in basketball, hockey, soccer, without a domestic women's league here. And are you frustrated as looking at someone who gave so much to the game and development? I mean, you played obviously at Stanford, but your heart is rooted here. You're here again. Does this 
did you look at this with frustration? I mean, come on, Canada, get it together. Where are we here? Because we don't want to keep, and I don't want to say losing our players to the NWHL or whatever, despite the PWHPA being here and being such a vital part, but they're not an active league, you know, despite pandemic, I'm talking just pretend there's no pandemic for a little while. Yeah. Um, do you find this frustrating as someone whose life is very, very deeply woven into the sport and in this country? Yes. Simple answer. Yes, I do. I mean, there is a team here. There is the Toronto Six, so we the can't six. forget about them. While they haven't started playing yet, I hesitantly say that I'm excited for them and for the girls that mm-hmm. are playing because I say hesitantly because that sets me up as a, a beacon to take sides and I don't want to take sides. Um, I believe in what the PWHPA is doing, but I am frustrated with what they're doing. I believe with what the NWHL is doing and I feel like they are not getting the accolades in Canada like they should. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like both sides have incredible arguments and both sides are on some level very stubborn. So what do, what do I feel? What do I think? Um, I feel frustrated because you're right. I put in so much of my life and so much of my time into creating a league that while people talk about the demise, you know, why did this happen? What was the reasoning? Let's celebrate that it, it, it existed for 11 years and that we went from a budget of $350,000 in the first year to a final budget of $3.5 million. So over the course of 11 years, that's huge progress in women's sport and in hockey in general in this country. I think the frustration with me lays in that there are jobs available in women's hockey right now and that certain sides or certain predispositions to want to partner or believe in certain people over other people precludes people from taking these jobs, from really enjoying the game. I think that's what I feel so bad about. In the book, I talk so much about play and I talk about Mm -hmm. the teammates I had and the adventures we got to take together and these girls are not getting that opportunity. And so Mm -hmm. that's what I feel so terrible about is that these people that I know intimately are not getting to play the game they love. And Mm -hmm. because they feel that they should side with one or the other. And if they Mm -hmm. choose to come out of those ranks, then you are picking allegiances against your friends. And that to me is just a terrible state for a game to be in. That doesn't mean I don't think of something amazing is going to come out of it. And, you know, I could sit and talk to you for hours on what I think the good and bad and ugly of both sides are. But ultimately, the fact that we've created sides is a travesty, I think, within our sport and within the game of hockey that not only are these girls not getting to play, fans are not getting to watch them. Mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. isn't sort of a construct that we can go and just, you know, hang out at a game and just enjoy it and um, sit and have beers while we're watching women's hockey. Like that just doesn't exist across the country right now. And that's, well, minus the pandemic. So yeah, I guess I'm, I'm frustrated, but I'm also apathetic. I feel like a year and a half, two years has gone by and there's been very little movement that I've seen, which has made me move on. It's made me and many of my teammates of a certain generation um, 
move on to stop the frustration. Every time I read an article, every time I'm sort of brought back into it, I'm suddenly thrust into uh, being sad and mad and angry and all of the things that happened with the demise of the CWHL and Billy, my husband's always like, stop reading about that stuff. Stop, like, <laughs> stop following them on social media. And it's like, I just, I want the, I, I so badly want the best for them. And so many mm -hmm. of them are still really good friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And the girls are having to make choices that they should never have to make. Like mm -hmm. Megan Bozak and her husband lived with us for a while and she's going to play in, well, for the Chinese team, but in Russia. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud of her decision for doing that because you know, being an American trying to play here in Canada, there isn't ice time. There aren't teammates to play with. So she doesn't have access to ice time the same way that the other PW players do. Um, rightly mm -hmm. or wrongly, she you know, had to make a decision. And so many of them have had to make these really tough life decisions when I appreciate that we were never in that position. So I think they are attempting to do the best for the game. And I honestly believe that nobody does things for malicious reasons and everybody thinks that they're doing the right thing. And so what I do, what I try to do is to support the individuals, support the players. So, mm -hmm. you know, I do a check-in sometimes with the girls that are going through the situation, whether they're on playing in the PW or they're in the NWHL or alumni. Um, I just try to gauge, you know, how can I be of service? How can I help? How can I help you enjoy the game in the way you want it to be enjoyed? And there isn't often an answer, but sometimes communication is all we have. So mm -hmm. that's uh, what I try to do. And I think you can hear the frustration in my voice. And I still haven't really, I think, come to terms with um, what what the future should be. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's also not my place anymore to come to terms with that. And it's the next generation to decide what they really truly do want. I just hope that they make some moves. Yeah, I'm very much in agreement with you. I'm really excited for the six to come. I've just mm -hmm. been really missing women's hockey so desperately. Had a really good time, and I remember, although I was a self-declared huge fan of Le Canadien, I would definitely go see the Furies when they were here. Mm -hmm. And well, I think it was fun to be in that environment. It's an environment where you saw the players out there signing autographs for like an hour and like the faces lit up of the kids. It was just, I think the only hockey games my kids might've been to professional ones have been women's and I'm okay with that. Yes. And like, it just, you know, I missed that and I can't wait for end up. I like you, I'm ready for women's hockey. Mm -hmm. um, I just need this pandemic to finish and then I can get back to enjoying it. There's one thing I wanted to ask you that was really uh, it weighed heavily on me, and you brought it up in a in your TED talk. Do you actually keep your gold medal in a Crown Royal velvet bag? I do. <laughs> I definitely That's... do. It's actually right there. Do you want to see it? Yes. Yeah, sure. Okay. Just I'm gonna unplug my earphones for a sec as I go to get it. You can probably still kind of hear me, but I'm gonna. Have you ever seen a gold medal before? Not in no? person. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to bring it to your house one day. You can see it. Oh my um, gosh. So here's <laughs> legitimately the crown roller bag. And here is the gold medal. There you go. That's beautiful. For those who can't see, Sammy Joe is showing me the gold medal. I, I wish I could show medal. it to you in person. When the pandemic is done, we will. We will do that. We will do that. But yeah, it, it's the best carrying case that it actually comes in a really nice box. All of them come in sort of their own unique designed box. 
but it's hard to get that into a small package and the crown royal bag just serves really well for that. My husband keeps his in socks, like wool socks, which is also very Canadian. Cheryl Pounder keeps hers in mittens. <laughs> I think that's amazing and very like, I mean, are they roots wool socks though? Ask him. Like, <laughs> Oh, I don't know. He might be like Zellers or something. <laughs> Oh, wow. There's a name I haven't heard in that's ages. Right. That's, more, that's more my style. <laughs> um, the question that I have is that if you were going to try to encourage aspiring hockey players to keep going, even though there's no clear path, like there used to be, like you go to Div 1 schools, the top players in this country go to Div 1 schools, and then they go to professional leagues or they play overseas or whatnot. To get through that process, I mean, first of all, I would definitely suggest everybody read her book, The Role I Played, because I think it's really important and there's lessons for everybody within that. But if you were going to offer one piece of advice to the young hockey players listening to the show, what would you tell them? So I think it depends on the player. You know, I think that when I'm offering advice to young people, I want to hear from them. I want to hear what are you looking for? What is your ultimate dream? What is your ultimate goal? And then let's work on a path to get there. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it's important um, to have the realization that it might not happen. I think that's an adult construct. I don't think that that's something that we need to share with our youth, that um, not everything is possible. But what I try to instill into young aspiring hockey players is that whatever it is that you want to do, don't ever let anybody take that dream away from you because it ultimately is your dream. And whenever I am talking to youth, I try to encourage them to be inclusive, to include that person that is maybe on the sidelines that maybe never got a chance to play. Because I think that for myself, I had a brother that included me in a street hockey game and allowed me to play. And I think we all need a helping hand sometimes that way. And if you've had the privilege of having that, it is upon yourself to then give that to others. And that could be in any type of setting, but allowing somebody else the opportunity and helping them pursue their goals in my life has been just as meaningful as me myself pursuing my goals. And sometimes helping somebody else get to ultimate success is even more rewarding. But I think what is missing from youth sport a lot is listening. And let's listen to what they want. I have a young four-year-old daughter who hates hockey. Um, And she has two parents that are Olympians. And, you know, while it might be forced upon her, I think what we want to do is introduce her to a plethora of different things and allow her to find her passion it's much to my demise might end up being gymnastics or dance, but I'm going to expose her to a bunch of different things. And like my parents who were not hockey people, they supported us no matter what. And that's not an easy thing to do because I now know as a parent, how desperately you want your children to enjoy the activities you enjoy, but that isn't always the case. And yeah, so I think my long winded answer is to listen. Do they just want to play with their friends? Do they just want to feel what it's like to run up and down the soccer field and look at the flowers? Because that's what my daughter loves in soccer. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to cheer her on from the sidelines as best I can so that she has a really great time. And sometimes that's hard because I want her to take that ball off that other little kid. But 
she wants to pick the flowers and give me a bouquet at the end. And that's okay, too. That's amazing. I have a son that had the audacity to become a volleyball player. And I was just like, I don't understand any of this. And I love it now. Like I'm out there with cowbells. Totally. Um, And that's what my parents became, you know, and it's just that's that is our ultimate responsibility as parents. Yeah, I still don't understand why any of them didn't choose soccer except for my daughter. But it just gave me the ability to say that I have three boys and a soccer player, which I can say with a lot of pride. That's awesome. Um, Sammy Joe, you have been an absolute delight. It is such a pleasure to speak with you. I mean, I think that your book is not just, and for those that are worried it might be too technical, it's more of a journey in hockey, but a personal one as well. And I would really recommend everybody get it. Also, I think your cover is dope. I'm like Thank a huge you. fan, like the gold and the red. Like the Thank Canadian you. Let's um, honor Heather Pollock, who took that photo too. Um, yeah. She is a local Toronto women's rec hockey player. Uh, through the Women of Winter that I contacted, and she's amazing. She worked with the Furies as well. I love it. Like, I just, it's very attractive. Um, and a, again, a nod to the gold on the Canadian red. I think that this conversation was absolutely one of my favorites. You're uh, like amazing. Oh, well, and thank I'm you. So Let's, can we be best friends from now on? Because I yeah, really can want we? to. <laughs> I, 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 but actually, I feel like that's already happened. Yeah. So we just need to be I, in person. Totally. So on that note, thank you so much. You're amazing. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Don't forget to get your copy of The Role I Played. I highly recommend it. And it is a fantastic read. And I saw you.